Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. Do you want to introduce this one today? Uh, yeah, so this is coming from the annals of stuff that you see in your everyday life and that has a lot of science behind it that you never knew. Ah, okay. And actually, to be clear, I don't know what this episode's about either right now. Oh, yeah, no, because I... You're the only one. Yeah, yeah. So, well, we should probably just start the episode, and then I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. Sounds good. Uh, you are listening to Linear Digressions. We're talking today about conjoint analysis. Con- with- conjoint analysis? Conjoint Conjoint. Conjoint analysis. C-O-N-J-O-I-N-T. Okay. And conjoint analysis is, well, it's a way of doing sort of causal inference similar to A-B tests and multi-arm bandit tests. Uh, But you use it in a situation where you have many different options of ways that you could be doing something. So, for example, if you have an A-B test on your website, you might be testing something like, how big should this button be or what color should it be? Maybe one thing at a time or a small number of things at a time. Conjoint right. analysis is for when you have 10 different things that you want to change at the time. Okay. And it can be really hard to figure out exactly what combination of them is really hitting the sweet spot. So you're saying, uh, I want to know whether this blue or that blue is better, whether this uh, text or that text is better for the header, whether we want more paragraph text or less paragraph text explaining what it is, whether, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got all these different things that you want to change uh, and test. But that seems that seems hard. I mean, like, if you have millions and millions of users, then you've got a lot of um, different people coming to your site and you can give them all some iteration of all these different things. But let's say that you only have thousands of users per day. Uh, how can you manage all of the possibilities? Yeah, or alternatively, that running experiments could be very expensive and you don't want to have to, each time you change things around, you could potentially be getting things wrong. And um, anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If things, are, if things are working, you don't want to lose a bunch of users every time you want to test whether something's better. Yeah, yeah. So here's where I'm going with this. Um, are you familiar with the hotel chain Courtyard by Marriott? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that their name? Yeah. I just thought it was Marriott and... Well, so there's Marriott, which is kind of like fancy hotels. And then in the late 80s, funny that you were confused about this, uh, Marriott realized that they had totally saturated the market for sort of high-end luxury hotels, Mm -hmm. which is what Marriott's are. And they wanted to find a new market to expand into to continue growing, but they had no idea what they should actually put in their new hotel because they had a lot of experience with the high-end stuff, but they were looking for a new market. So they they figured out some ideas about who that market might be, but then they had to figure out what do these people actually want in a hotel. Right, because they don't have any experience not only building these hotels for these clientele, but also what drives these people. Exactly. And so, and with a hotel, there's many different degrees of freedom of what people might care about. Maybe people care about things like pools and lobbies. Maybe they care about specific types of, of um, room amenities. Maybe they care about things like oh, check-in and check-out times. There's I all see these the, different things. <laughs> I and, see the problem. Yeah. You're a hotel chain. How many hotels can you build to test these things out? It's not like you can just... So with a website... Although it may be kind of a pain to test all these different things, you could just one by one change all of these different features 
that you're testing and see which one comes out on top. But you can't just go put in a swimming pool for a couple days, see if people like it, and then rip it back out. Exactly. Exactly. So what you have to do is you have to explore the space of all the different possibilities of, of hotels that could exist. Right. In in some sort of presumably something like a survey or a focus group. So you're you're to- you're talking to people who are in your audience, asking them about their preferences, but you need to be measuring their preferences in many different ways at the same time and even just asking them to go through and sort of rank order their preference for different types of hotels could you could easily sort of run out of the patience of your survey respondents before you would run out of different conceivable options because there's many different things that you might be changing. There's many different settings that each of those things could have. Right. Yeah. And so this is where conjoint analysis comes in is it allows you to sort of explore the space, so to speak. And so what conjoint analysis does, one of the first things that's important to have if you want to run a conjoint analysis is although you might have many different things that you might change, Ideally, it works best if you can sort of group all the things that you want to change. So in the case of Courtyard by Marriott, by the way, Courtyard by Marriott, also determined by a focus group. That is that is a, a hotel name chain that was completely conceived by a marketing research group. And oh, I think, interesting. I think it's part of like this conjoint analysis that they did. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah, everything, everything about Courtyard by Marriott, uh, every time I pass one, I'm like, Courtyard by Marriott, conjoint analysis. <laughs> Uh, that is the hotel so, the data science built. That was their thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had I had no idea. And the, it's a really complicated problem for Courtyard by Marriott. I mean, conjoint analysis has done a lot in marketing, but usually it's done with maybe there's five things you're trying to change at a time. With Courtyard by Marriott, there were, I think, seven big groups of things that they were looking at. And there were within each of these big groups what what's usually called factors. There's many different settings that it could have. So, uh, so like with a swimming pool, you can either have a swimming pool or you don't. That would be two settings. But you could also have a big swimming pool and a small swimming pool. Uh, uh, or you could have just a big or just a small or a big and a jacuzzi. So these are all different different settings, I guess. Oh, my gosh, Ben. It's like you read the paper. Like you Did, read, really? <laughs> they enumerate sort of all the options that they had. And I'm remembering from the swimming pool section it's things like, should it be indoor? Should it be outdoor? Should it be combination <laughs> indoor, outdoor? If it's combination indoor, outdoor, how much extra are people willing to pay for that? Does it have a uh-huh. slide? Does it have a jacuzzi? Is the jacuzzi attached? If it's outdoors, is it enclosed within the building in something like a courtyard? Is wait, it rectangular wait, wait, wait. or freeform? Okay, hold on. Hold <laughs> yeah. on. So you said there are seven big groups mm-hmm. uh, of, of uh, features that they were testing. Yes. And each of these has presumably some large number of, of potential settings, like the swimming pool example. I mean, that's that's a lot of iterations. So, like, let's say that you have seven and you have, I don't know, like 10 different possibilities or even just five different possibilities for all seven of those settings. You combine those together and you get a ridiculous, crazy amount of possible uh, arrangements. And they're not going to build that many. They're not going to build, you know, tens of or hundreds of thousands or whatever the number would be of hotels just to figure out what the best hotel to build would be because that would saturate their market just doing the experiment. Oh, totally. So conjoint analysis helps with that somehow. Right. So what conjoint analysis does is, first of all, you want to group things into these factors. So for Courtyard by Marriott, the things that they grouped together were 
external factors. So this includes things like the pool, how is the building shaped, what's the landscaping. There's rooms, which has the internal aspects of the rooms that people are staying in. So what sort of entertainment options are there? How big is the room? What's the decor? That sort of thing. There's food options. There's what's the lounge or the lobby like? What are the services that are offered by the hotel? Things like room service, messaging service, maybe a a concierge or a laundry service, that sort of thing. Leisure, this includes things like pools, uh, fitness centers, uh, and then security. And so what you notice is from each of these factors, they're all sort of independent of each other. So your preferences on how the security of the building is set up is probably not going to be particularly correlated with what kind of food you want them to have. Got it. Okay. And so that's really important because it means that then whatever's going on in sort of one of these factors is probably pretty independent of what's going on in the other factors. You don't really have to worry about correlations between them that much if you set this up correctly. And then what you do is you figure out how important each of these factors is to the people in your audience. So this is usually done with some sort of survey, and there are different methods for trying to ascertain how much people care about each of these factors and how quickly, you know, even if something is is relatively unimportant to a person, their opinion on whether they want to stay somewhere or not might still respond to it fairly strongly. So you try to figure out how much they care about it and how quickly they change their mind about it once you start to fiddle around with the different settings of, for example, how nice the room could be or how many amenities the hotel might have. So this starts to give you an idea of how each of these factors performs independently of the other one. But what you really end up doing or what many conjoint analyses end up doing is something that's called building profiles. And in this case, what you want to do is you actually put a list of attributes together of what the hypothesized hotel might be. And you put it in front of a, of a prospective customer and you say, would you stay at this hotel? If so, how much would you be willing to pay for it? You know, between the choice of these two hotels, which one would you stay at? And, and so this is where it starts to get really tricky because then you have to come up with, just like you said, a list of specific attributes. And if you were to completely cover the space of all the different combinations of attributes you could get, it's mm-hmm. very, very uh, combinatorially explosive. Right. And even if you're not building these hotels, it's still combinatorially explosive, like so much so that you wouldn't be able to necessarily find enough people to get them together and ask them about each of these individual hotels. Yes. So the thing that we're not going to be able to do is to ask about all of the different combinations in a sort of brute force way. Exactly. Right. Okay. So here's where conjoint analysis has to get a little bit clever is let's imagine that we just have one of these factors that we care about. Let's say it's how nice the food is. Okay. And there's many different aspects that that might have, like whether there's a restaurant in the, in the hotel, whether there's snack machines in the hotel, whether there's food available in the rooms, but it's sort of all about the food and there's a range that the food can take on. We can say that it goes from not particularly nice to very nice food. And we want to understand how how much people care about how nice the food is. And if we were running, say, an A-B test, and the only thing we're trying to figure out is whether people care about the food, then what we could do is is something that's fairly straightforward, which is we could give people two profiles of hotels that are the same in all respects, except for how nice the food is. And then we would see how many people like the hotel with the nice food and how many people 
say they would still be willing to stay at the hotel with the not as nice food. And the difference between those two groups, we would say, is reflective of how strongly people uh, feel about how nice the food is. Yeah, but what we were saying before is that you can't do that. You can't create all of the different possibilities of the hotels. So there's got to be some kind of a, a simplification in here somewhere that allows us to not test, you know, 50,000 different hotel profiles. Right, right. So what you have to do with a conjoint analysis, and there's a fair amount of kind of math that goes into building these profiles, uh-huh. is when you build the profiles, you say, okay, half of my group is going to get the nice food, and the other half of my group is going to get the not as nice food. And then for each of the profiles I build, there's also going to be many other aspects of the profile. So there's going to be things like how nice are the rooms, how many other amenities do they have, things like swimming pools and tennis courts and things like that. So you're saying that as you split it up by food, you're going to have you know half the people on one side, let's say, and half the people on the other. And those those both of those people are going to get different factors from each other in all of the other factors. Yeah, so the people who get the nice food, then some of them are going to get not very nice rooms, and some of them are going to get really nice rooms. The people who get kind of not very exciting food, some of them are going to get nice rooms and not nice rooms. Some of them are going to get the tennis courts, and some of them are going to get the pools, and some of them are going to get, you know, neither of the above. But the idea is that you have all of these factors that are moving at the same time, but if you do the combinatorics correctly, what you want out of a conjoint analysis is that for all the people who are in nice food group and all the people who are in not exciting food group, then all the other factors for them are balanced between those two groups in such a way that I don't have any other factor where the people with the nice food are also always the people who have, let's say, the nice rooms as well. So that then when I try to take the difference between the preferences of whether people say they would stay in the hotels from, you know, nice food versus not nice food, then the difference between what people say for those two profiles, I can only attribute to the food because there's no other factor that has sort of like a bias in the same way or that would like sort of split people in the same way that they're being split by the, the, uh, the food preferences in their profile. So even though you don't have you don't have people being randomly assigned to food right. or not nice food. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's mm-hmm. not it's not a random assignment, but it's a random-ish assignment. If, if, if you do it right, it feels random, and your effects are, are that way, where the, those different features don't actually affect the result if you're only looking at one particular feature. And actually, I think that, like, I think I understand the thing that makes this work is that all of these features are completely, uh, we can assume that they're completely independent from each other. So the feature about the landscaping is independent from the feature about the food uh, factor, excuse me, which is independent from the factor about security. And so you can kind of like cleverly balance all of these things. So that way, if you look at one of the factors at a time, all of the other factors are balanced and you can attribute any difference between group A and group B to the thing that you're looking at and the way that you divided it. Yeah, that's right. So I was looking at an example for this. They were playing around with the messaging that you might attach to, I think this example was from an allergy medication. So in this case, there was there were four different messages that they were interested in trying to potentially convey about this allergy medicine. So it's things like, this is recommended by healthcare professionals, and they had several different messages that would convey that idea. Or it might say, 
this is the most effective medicine on the market, and there are several different ways you might say that, or this is very fast acting, and there are several different ways you could say that. And so if you were to combinatorially multiply out all the different profiles, each of the different combinations of all of these little sub messages that you could potentially get, there were something like 256 different profiles, but uh, they go through and they show the way that you would actually allocate messages across different profiles so that you only have 16 that you have to look at, but things uh. are balanced in such a way so that all of the people who get, you know, message A for, for the first group, half of them get message A for the second thing, half of them get message B for the second thing, and so on for like the third thing and the fourth thing, so that there's no other type of message that they might be getting uh, that splits them in the same way that they're being split with respect to message A. So again, if you see differences between people's preferences for the, me the medication and those preferences line up with which of the two groups they end up with, whether they get message A or message B, then you know that it's message A versus message B that's probably responsible for their difference in opinions because there's nothing else that would explain that difference. Awesome. That seems, that seems like a, a pretty good way of, uh, I guess, boiling it down, right? Um, one thing I think we should have thought about before we started recording this episode is that uh, like we, we should have gotten like podcasting money from Courtyard by Marriott. <laughs> <laughs> so... If you work at Courtyard by Marriott, uh, you know, throw us a bone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's funny because now I know all of the specific things that they put in Courtyard by Marriott because they went through and they, they for some of the things that were more important, they were like, oh, look how much people care about the pool. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, and so now every time I pass a Courtyard by Marriott, I'm like, I know exactly what you did here. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.